Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. You've actually just jumped in in the middle of a catch-up session between myself, Sabrina, and our guest today, Kat Dealey. Hi, Kat. Hi, beauty. How are you? Good. You're in, you're in London. I am. I'm in London right now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we kind of relocated a little bit, actually, with the, with the family, purely because um, my boys, so I have Milo, who's four, and James, who's two. And uh, essentially, we have grandparents that are very well that want to be grandparents that can't wait to spend time with the little ones and the little ones also want to spend time with them and I feel like that's such a short moment in everybody's life that um I I needed to be here so that they can have that moment and if I need to fly back and work and do that I can do that too but it was it kind of was really important to me and to my husband as well and we made the we made the big choice and the big move and that's what we've done well have just on a personal note because this is mm-hmm. something that I experienced mm-hmm. um have your parents or your husband's parents started to undermine your authority with your children <laughs> oh yes 100% like... and it normally it normally involves ice cream or jelly babies or gummy sweets or chocolate like oh yes 100 percent. but and, I, but i kind of think that's their job right but of course it's their job okay, it's but totally he, their job melissa so, come on uh, well yes but here was the second part of the question it wasn't just about undermining authority it was the second <laughs> step so for example my mother would be out with cooper and he would say i'm hungry and so she's like, okay, we're going to stop and get a snack, which then usually consisted of pizza and ice cream, and then come home, and he wasn't hungry for dinner, and there would be some sort of a of a argument at the table, and finally I'd give up, and without fail, my mother would turn to me and say, you know, Melissa, you really need to be more, you know, on it about him eating things like vegetables. So not only would she undermine <laughs> me, she would then criticize me. She would oh, keep him. Gotta, she she would keep him, James. but she would keep him up all night watching TV in her room. And then I'm like, "Mom, he's got to go to bed. He's going to be awful in the morning when he gets up for school." She's like, "Grouchy, right?" Right. So she's like, "No, no, I'll help you." So we'd get him up, and he would be just vile. Get him off to school. My mom would be like, "Wow, he is not a morning person. No shit." <laughs> But, you know, it's so funny that Kat was saying about, you know, the grandparents. Joan would take a grandma's week every summer and take Cooper on a trip because she said it was so important for him to have those memories. And we have such beautiful pictures of all the trips that they've taken, you know, through the years since he was born. So it's it's a special time for grandparents to share with their their little ones. And you mothers get over yourselves. Oh, stop it, Sabrina. (laughs) So by the by the way, when Cooper's when Cooper's annoyed at me or he can't get me. his way with me, he calls Sabrina, his auntie Sabrina, who was outside the door when I was giving birth, and she and another friend of mine were making so much noise, giggling, 
they had to ask them to move. Yeah, I, I had my catcher's mitt ready, and well, you want to get the mayor as well, Sabrina. Well, you want exactly. to get the mayor? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't call it laughing gas for nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, but we're here because we want to. Yeah, I just feel like you know, for all of that, and believe me, we have had the sugar meltdowns and all the rest of it. I just think it's so special. And and nothing can buy you those memories, no. and nothing like mm-hmm. it. They're they're priceless. So that this is the choice we've made, and we've kind of came here, and we're renting somewhere, and we came out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden COVID hit. So it's all crazy. I mean, you all you try and line all your ducks up in a row, and you go, okay, this is what we want that's best for our kids. But then the world throws a curveball at you, and you just carry on juggling. <laughs> well, as I like to say, it's not only upside down; it's also on fire. But oh, yeah, but we're here to talk about something exciting. You have a new children's book. Speaking of children, I do. Yeah. It is called what is it? The the joy, the joy. in you. Tell mm-hmm. me about the book. So I'd always wanted to do a book for a long time. I actually studied English literature at school and all the rest of it. So I'd always wanted to do it, and it I just never got around to it. It was like one of those things where you want to learn a new language or play an instrument, or you know, I just never got around to it. And uh, then I had the boys and it felt like, oh, I just started to get a bit of breathing room, you know, in that like midday nap. I could kind of find like a little piece of time again. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have a go. And basically like any mom, at the end of the day, I'm completely exhausted. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I'm very hands-on and I feel... sometimes I can hardly even string a sentence together. I'm so inarticulate. Yeah, I I just don't know what to say. So it was kind of like, okay, what do I want to say when I can't find the words? What's the book that I want them to absorb and the feelings and the moments and the thoughts that I want them to absorb before they go to bed at night? And how do I want them to feel? And I want them to be able to talk to me about anything. So it was the idea behind the book was, what to say when I can't find the words. And and I think that it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Essentially, we all want the same things for our children, which are, you know, we want them to be happy and we want them to be kind. And everything else is superfluous or personal to you or the family. But we all want our children to be happy and kind. And I think that the more they can talk about the feelings and the more... Um, they're open and honest and there's an open discussion about it the more they can empathize with other human beings and the more they can reach their full potential as an adult um so that 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 was it really and and you know sometimes sometimes Milo loves the book and sometimes he challenges me on it I mean like a four-year-old like Uh, by the way it's nice to be challenged by a four-year-old excuse me I disagree Uh, what okay. are you really trying to say? Totally. And by the way, that sassy pants attitude was exactly what I got from him. You know, you know how a four-year-old is either like Jekyll or Hyde, right? He's either oh, the yeah. most beautiful human being on the planet, or if he's been with the grandparents or your mother or whoever, he can just <laughs> turn into this. Or... And so he turned around to me the one night and he'd read it and he said, um, Mom, you know in your book it says I can do anything. And I said, um, yeah, Milo, you can. If you if you put your mind to something, if you work really hard, you can do anything. 
And he said, well, that's not true, is it? <laughs> I know where I this like, is going. Wow. I swear, I swear. Wow. And he gave me like the sassy chin with it and like a side look and like a shoulder. <laughs> and I said, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, well, what I really want to do is I want to take a koala home from the zoo, bring it here and keep it as a pet. I can't do that, <laughs> can I, mom? Well, that's a pretty challenging argument, mom. Wouldn't you say? So, so at this point, Sabrina, <laughs> my head is going, you know, it's like it's waiting almost for the axe to fall or for the like the lady mm -hmm. to pop out of the top hat. It's literally like, okay, what can I do? What can I say? What can I And at the same point, through my head is going, Cat Dealey's kid kidnaps Koala from the zoo. <laughs> it's like, it's like a <laughs> All right. Oh, my Lord. I said, no, Milo, you absolutely categorically cannot do that you can't do that that's absolutely right I said but what you can do is you can go to school and you can study really hard and you might like something called science and as a part of science there's a thing called biology and then if you learn about animals it's called zoology I said and then if you really really study and you go to university you could then be in charge of every koala at the zoo i said or you could even fly to the other side of the world which is as far as you can possibly go to australia and you could go and work a, ko a koala sanctuary and you could help koalas who didn't have mums and dads and what do you think about that okay mom so with a little that a was little, a little, little, little moment a little mommy magic that and i know that feeling when your head your head is like oh fuck uh, I like, and you're waiting for that. For me, I always think about I'm waiting for that thought bubble to come across so that I can grab it and spit it out. Um, exactly. So, what's been your moment with Cooper? Well, Cooper's Give 19 me. now. <gasps> okay, and, and she's I still know. having moments. So, we're going to well, be parents till we die. We're going to continue you, to have teachable Cooper moments. Cooper is them. 19. <laughs> okay, does he still give you a kiss? Mm, Sometimes I give him a kiss, but he gives me he'll give me a hug. Just well, get well, well, wait. But okay, so Kat, here's the idea. Cooper wants it to be his idea. Do you know uh, what I mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. I did. He wants it I to do. be his idea. But yeah, he has given in on the he has given in, like if I give him a hug, he gives me a hug. Um okay. and sometimes you know, I Cooper and I are very close and we have a very um the relationship I will admit. Uh, about a year and a half ago, really hit a snag because he Why? had to, What was this snag? He was leaving for college. He had a girlfriend I did not know about. He uh, blew up an argument with me to the point where he's like, I'm going to go live with my dad, which he never did. I mean, he hadn't in the past and basically didn't speak to me for a month. Um, <gasps> yeah, I was a mess. You guys, I couldn't get out of bed. But what happened? Heartbreak City. Yes. So the long and the short of it is, um, well, first of all, I, he was house sitting for his dad, and I didn't know he had the girlfriend at this point. I found out later. Mm -hmm. um, which you know, that's that's all in your future. Um, Don't even. Yeah. No. It's it's an awful situation. Um, it, but the long and the short of it is, he and I came back together in a sort of a. Not necessarily a different way, but literally he walked in the house and we decided he was going to come back and acted like nothing had happened. I had gone away 
for a week to some to Wyoming where we usually go yeah. together and it was horrible for me to go without him but I'm like I'm not canceling the trip and he walks in comes into my bathroom like my dressing room sees my bag and starts rifling through my bag and I'm like may I help you and he's like well I just wanted to see what you got me <laughs> I'm like, nothing for nothing for you, my friend. And I got myself a new baseball hat and it was sitting on the counter and he sees the hat and he kind of slides over to it, grabs the hat and bolts out of my room. So, um, I'll, you know, so it, it can always be challenging, but the, the, he questions me on a lot, a lot. He, he, he definitely challenges me, but on things he now leads with, I know you're going to say no, but I'm going to ask anyway, which, <laughs> which backs you into a corner. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, but, it, but it's also though anything that you say from that point on is up, right? So anything from there is positive. It, not necessarily, because sometimes I'll say, you're right, I'm going to say no. <laughs> and then he goes into the, well, I just thought I'd ask. And then we get okay. to start, it's the, opening sal- it's the opening shot of a negotiation. Yeah, and if you weren't so unreasonable, then right. I, d- yeah, I get yeah. it, I get it, yeah. But yeah. it's always I, I mean, a negotiation, so don't you think, though, Kat, with your, whole- your, your little boys? Are you kidding me? I negotiate with a two-year-old on a semi-regular <laughs> basis. It's literally like negotiating with Donald Trump. Yeah, it's, it's like so, it's so like, look over here. Here's the sweeties and the dinosaurs and the little nut. And yeah. like, don't look here. And it's like, and that's what you do. And you do the dance and you make it happen. And sometimes you, you kind of hate yourself for like caving in. And then other times don't. it's just like, let's just get the job done. Let's make everything okay. And then and then it's this weird thing where, where on the flip side of that, you can literally turn around and go, give my kiss. And I'm like, no, I said, I want a movie star kiss. And they put their hand, their little fat fingers on my face and they kiss me and then they go, nah. and they go, and Milo says, Is, was that a movie star, mum? I was like, that was a totes movie star. That was like, a, I lifted my leg and everything. So. Aww. Listen, it's everything, right? And enjoy it because once they turn into teenagers, it's. Oh, no, I know. It's it's, It's it's going to be. It was like an alien. Yeah, well, first of all, the smell, like the the, spots, just everything. And also, it feels a little bit like an alien has inhabited your child's body, but you never know when it's going to show up. So, like, they'll go into their room and be perfectly happy. And then you'll open the door to be like dinner or whatever. And they'll be like, Rah! and then like five minutes later, it, you just never know when the alien's going to pop out. And it's just grunts, right? In communication yeah. terms. Yes, I, it's like I have, we go back cavemen yeah, style, I have, right? I have spoken openly that I now speak grunt. <laughs> I do. I speak like, eh, eh. I mean, you, you really do learn to, 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 uh, to be able to understand. And sometimes... You also get the look over the shoulder as they're leaving the room. And I'm always like, I see that. I see it. <laughs> Just so you know, you did not get away with that. And then they go, what look? Okay, you know what? And I always say to Cooper. I'm old, not blind. Well, I say to Cooper, I was you. 
I was your age. And the other key I always told him from the very, very beginning was, as smart as you are and as slick as you think you are, you really will not be smarter or slicker than I was as a teenager. And you just give them three examples and do it soon because it sticks with them. And then they know that it gets in their little brains that everything they want to do that's bad you did it and you know how to do it and you will catch them. It listen, it's all it's all <laughs> part of the game, like you guys were saying. Yes. And no, yes. I'm telling you, Cooper even says to me, said to me once, You were so much worse than I was. It's not fair. <laughs> I'm like, times are changing, my friend. <laughs> we don't have <laughs> But that's but that's my other thing is you are absolutely right. If I think about some of the stupid ridiculous just dane all different things the, the ridiculous things i did but thank goodness no one can look them up or can't right. see them or whatever and now i i'm almost frightened for them you know what i mean like oh I, yeah I'm, I'm i'm terrified because i i you know i watch euphoria and i'm like oh my god it's brilliant and zendaya's a goddess but i i don't know it sends me into this tailspin yeah. of fear. Oh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Kat, how do you balance work with raising your two boys? Uh, I'm really lucky. I have an amazing nanny. And now we've moved back here as well. I also have this great support system. So my brother lives around the corner from me. And he's got two children as well. And they love their cousins. And then I've got I've got grandma and granddad as well. And my husband is very hands-on too. So we have similar jobs. He's a stand-up comedian and he makes documentaries. And then, so we're both in the entertainment industry, so to speak. And so we can kind of balance it so that one of us is always at home. And then with the amazing infrastructure of help we have as well, it works. But I mean, Uh, it's a juggle. The, The whole thing is a juggle. It really does. And actually, that was one of the things about moving from L.A. too, where it was just that thing of, um, you know, even friends here. I've talked about family, but I've even got friends who are like, you know, we have a 20 year friendship. I don't have to get out of my pajamas in the morning. Right. If I'm in a sniveling mess in the corner of the room, someone will come in and pick me up and nobody's going to judge me. They're just going to pick me and, and and that's not to say I didn't have great friends in LA too, but but you only have really really great friends by the passage of time. You can't hothouse mm-hmm. friendship. It's it's a it's a thing where you're there for the good and the bad and the ridiculous and the embarrassing and the fall flat on your face and and that only happens through the passage of time. As as much as you like somebody or you meet somebody and you're like oh. They, they've got me and I've got them. It just isn't the same as, as time passing by and you knowing that you have each other, you know? It's about having a history. Yes, 100%. It's about... 100%. Um, yeah. What, one thing I do want to ask you about, because this is something I don't think people know, and we're talking about kids and your book and all that. Mm-hmm. You want... You've always have somehow, even before you had kids had a toe in the children's entertainment space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting that you did that before you had kids. Cause a lot of people don't come to sort of, I want to be in that part of the world 
in the entertainment business before they have children. You actually yeah. won a children's BAFTA. I didn't even know there were BAFTAs yeah. for children. No, and it, listen, it's one of those things where, so I started off, when I first started hosting, I was hosting on MTV and I was probably about 20 years old and I was too cool for school. I seriously thought like I was a museo and I like rock stars and I like, you know, like I was that chick. And then they came to me and they said, listen, we've got this, we've got this show and there's going to be a bit of silliness and some sketches and some ridiculous nurse and then there's also going to be a chart show at the end of it and um I was like well I don't know about that but I'll do the I'll do the music bit and then what happened was I started to do the show it was a show called SMTV and I started to do it and I actually loved being ridiculous I fully embrace my inner six and three quarter year old because it was a, it was it clown. was a Saturday it was a Saturday morning children's show yeah so we did so we did uh we did 52 weeks a year three hours live every Saturday and I think I did it for about six years wow so any anything that could ever happen to me on live tv has happened um and then we ended up it ended up being this thing where we we did sketches and funny skits and we dressed up and I like played my teenage self we did a pastiche of friends at the time called chums because friends was so big back then and so we did this thing where we were in we were all in a flat together and then people would walk in and do cameos everybody from the Spice Girls to Sting to Tom Jones to Mariah Carey was my bridesmaid like it it became like it became almost a cult. It became this thing where everybody wanted to watch it. And at that point in time, TV was was completely different to how it is now. You know, you watch TV and you 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 made an appointment to watch a show, and then everybody talked about it the next day. It wasn't right. like oh well, I can watch it online or I can catch up or I can binge watch it or whatever. And there wasn't as much choice either it was vast it was was a vastly different landscape completely different but it was like so it was this universal show that worked on multi-levels almost like a disney movie we can go and watch a disney movie and be thoroughly entertained because it hits us on certain levels but it hits kids on other levels and Mm -hmm. that was what the show is about and and i think what happened was um people's kids started to watch it they wanted them to be a part of it and then we got pop stars coming on later. So we're like, well, could you just do this sketch with us? And they were like, oh yeah, well, and in the end it became this kind of cult and phenomenon in, in a way that it would probably never happen nowadays, actually. Well, especially um, now, now with COVID. Yeah, well, especially because actually we were looking at remaking it again 20 years later and we've actually the boys and I who I hosted it with, we, Ant, we just Ant did a and documentary Deck. Ant and Deck. So we just did a documentary about them, about the show. And um we were talking about doing a remake, but like Saturday morning, real time. But there was just no way we could with COVID, there's no way we could do it. We couldn't get everybody together. It's not like an isolated cast. We can't form a bubble. So we're gonna wait and do that. But that but it was great looking back on the show. So so you think you can dance? Was it season seventeen? Mm-hmm. You guys mm-hmm. decided not to move forward because of the obvious reasons of social distancing. But I gotta mm-hmm. ask, 
How did you get the show? Okay, so so what happened was I so Nigel, who was one of the creators of the show, along with Simon Fuller, um, knew me from back in the UK, and then he got a producer working on the show called Jeff Thacker, who'd worked with me multiple times back in the UK. And the first season was hosted by Lauren Sanchez. Um, and then it was going to go live. She was also getting married and having a baby and doing all that. And so they said, right, we need somebody who can do a live entertainment show. Who should we look at? And so Jeff kind of mentioned my name. I came over, met Mike Darnell, who was head of Fox at the time. Yes. And uh, came and saw the show and I loved it. And that that was how it happened. But there was a lot of Brits working on that show, actually, who knew my history and knew kind of how um, I got to where I got. And I knew I had an entertainment background and also a live background because in terms of live TV, there's nothing like flying no. hours. The more you can do you I mean, you know, you've yeah, done it's, it's, red it's, carpet. It, yeah, it's, 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 and it's a skill. And it's a muscle and it has to be worked. And people don't get how hard live TV is and how, um, as I always like to say, you, how light on your feet you need to be. Yeah, but I also feel like they shouldn't understand how difficult it is. No, either. because That's then we're out of jobs. Of That's part of the <laughs> skill. Like you kind of have to look like a swan on top, but underneath you're paddling like crazy. Oh, you know what I mean? It's, absolutely. It's, you'll get, you're like, and you're in fight or flight mode and your adrenaline is going and so anything that somebody throws you can kind of throw it back in the same direction but I think I think the big thing about it is if you have enough flying hours under your belt then you know no matter how bad it gets no matter whether you forget your words you drop a mic you fall over you uh, whatever whatever it is the ground doesn't open up and swallow you and actually if you just pick yourself up and dust yourself off and have a little bit of self-deprecation and make a joke out of it, it kind of makes the audience love you more. Oh. And that and that's the trick, actually. That's what that's but we have to get over that as a human being because no one really likes to fall and the, the tendency is to go, oh my god, I'm so embarrassing. So but if you can just kind of deal with it and flip it around and make a joke and make yourself a bit silly. And it, everybody falls over. It's oh, how I, you get up. It's I, how you get up. You I stepped I mean? backwards off an apple box and fell out of frame. <laughs> just like, whoomph, just gone. <laughs> totally. I've slipped over. I've dropped mics. I had a, a guy who was five foot three jump press over me. I fell down. I somehow managed to hold onto my mic. I had uh, my first migraine on TV on the live show. I had Slash come on and talk very inappropriately about groupies. I mean, like, you, you, I've done it. Yeah. I always, one of the things um, that I remember distinctly from the red carpet was there was an an actor had just passed away. Mm-hmm. And one of his friends, who was also an actor, came up to do an interview on the red carpet. And he did not like a, a documentary that had aired about it on E. And this okay. is someone, I, and by the way, and this is someone I knew personally. 
Like I knew okay. him off camera. Can you tell mm-hmm. us his name? No. Well, I guess I could. I'm like, Phil why Hart- not? Okay. I'm like, why what's not? the secret? Okay. So you're right. You know what? You're right. Phil Hartman had just passed, had passed away tragically with the wife and the whole thing. And, yeah. um, he had done like a documentary kind of thing about it. And John Lovitz was one of his very good friends. And I have mm-hmm. a relationship outside of work with John Lovitz through friends and tennis and mm-hmm. all these things. And I, by the mm-hmm. way, adore him, adore yeah. him. Yeah. Um, as did my mother. So he comes up on the red carpet. I think it must've been the Emmys. And I said, how are you doing? And just a right, like, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? And he teed off on well, got angry with you on the network. I mean, teed off. And I kept trying to jump in. I'm like, you know, I know you're really sad and still very hurt and could not stop him. She could not stop him. And after three sort of attempts at being like, John, you know, we all feel your pain. And how could you do this? Like blaming me for the network. That's how it was coming off. And finally they said in my IFB, let him go. And I literally just let him rant. Yeah. And situations like now in his defense. But that's live TV. Right, it's live TV. But you know what? He also sent a note apologizing, saying, I am so sorry that had nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. So I was about to I was about to say exactly that. So whenever anybody steps in to do something, you have to remember what they're framing it with. Yes. And their frame is whatever they've been through through the day or yes. with your producers or meeting someone else down the carpet. Very often it will have nothing to do with you. What's been the toughest situation you faced? Because that was a tough one and they finally did you know, I did all I you know the trick. You try three times. Yeah. And, and then you step back. You can only ask the yeah. question in three different ways. If they're not going to answer. Yeah. They're not going to, you're not going to outsmart them. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was the, what, what do you remember one time with them? Your, your, your most complicated situation where something goes, not like awry, but awry like that. And where they say in your ear, just step back and let it play out. I mean, there were, there, there were, there were two very, there, there was one where, um, Prince was coming on the show and I had always loved Prince since I was a kid. I had every album, every, and uh, he was coming on to do a pre-record and it was on the Friday before the Saturday, cause he could only come in on the Friday. So we were pre-recording it. So I'd done a whole day of rehearsal and they said to me, um, the people, it's always the people that surround the people. It's, <laughs> it all gets so complicated and so political and it's so silly. Um, and they said to me, uh, he was very late because it's always that thing where everybody's very late. And then they said, you can't look at him. You can't look at him in the eye and don't say this and don't say the other. And then from my side, I was getting from my producers on the show. Well, he's just changed his name to a symbol which they were going, what's a squiggle? Like, what, so what do you call him? And like, what? so I'm getting from this side, I'm getting this. And from this side, I'm getting, don't even, don't look at him. Don't say anything. And then from, from me, I was getting, but he's my hero and he's brilliant. And I found myself in the middle of this thing. And I always feel like 
if you're in the middle of something, it's best to be really honest and in it. Like don't, don't get confused by other people's noise. Mm-hmm. Whatever side it's coming from, just, just stay with what, what you think. And normally that's gut, heart, head, normally. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, they said, don't, don't look at him. Anyway, he came in and he came in late and he, he was little and he got black glasses on and he was all like done. And uh, he came and sat down next to me and he sat down like this. And uh, he kind of, he kind of lounged back like a lounge lizard and was exactly what I wanted him to be. And I thought, well, I can't not look at him. I said, uh, nice to meet you. And I introduced myself and I said, um, did no one tell you? Uh, you're not allowed to wear heels higher than me on this show. You know that, right? <laughs> he got on these python boots with like these Cuban heels. Before. Yeah. And he turned around and he looked over the top of his glasses and he laughed. And he was smashing from then on it from then on in we kind of like had this whole thing and then my producers were going on and on at me and they're saying you've got to ask him about this squiggle this squiggle thing is so ridiculous you know like and I said listen we were wrapping it up and I said listen every Friday night I get in the car after I've done a job that I love and I always talk to my mom and I say this is what I was doing today mom and I talked to this one and that one and we're talking we're talking on the show tomorrow and we've got so and so on and all the rest of it I said so I'm going to get in the car tonight and I'm going to ring my mom and I'm going to tell her that I met Prince she was the artist form the, the artist formerly known as and he says a new friend Oh, and I, oh and my goodness! I loved it because I like pacified these guys, and he'd been everything I wanted and more. And it was like it was just a lovely moment. And I just thought, oh! And he was everything I wanted him to be. What was your worst live moment? Oh gosh, there's so many. There's I know. So many. I've always the one where I fell out of frame was was a good one. That was, that was, I mean, that was, yeah, that was a good one for one, me. One that was just me was I'd never had a migraine before. And I, th- I threw up halfway through the show and then my, my, um, vision started to go like this, you know, the tunnel vision that you yeah. get when you have a migraine. And I was like blinking at the auto cue and words were shutting down and I was trying to get the show off air on time as well, but I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought I was dying. <laughs> So that was really, that was really not great. Um, but the, the thing with Slash was he started swearing on morning TV and talking about getting blowjobs from groupies oh and God. being bitten by his iguana. And like, and all I could hear in my ear at that point was the gallery going crazy, going, We've had a fuck from Slash. Fuck. We've had a fuck. From Slash. <laughs> so I literally got like him in one ear. Yeah. And you have the, the producers. The producers are like, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. You're like, and you but, want to turn around to the camera and go, I'm trying. <laughs> but also, but also they, were like, they were like, we've had a fuck from Slash. We've got a fuck. So I'm getting fuck here. Fuck there. And literally, as it walks on, the floor manager gone three 
too, at which point he'd lit up a cigarette and the floor manager had taken it off him and out of shot. I mean, like the whole thing was, but I was like, listen, my whole thing is we booked Slash. We didn't book Mickey Mouse. What no, were you, you what did were not. You think, what were you thinking you were going to get? Like, and actually he didn't disappoint me. I am more than happy to paddle like a maniac under yeah. the water and apologize to whoever I've got it. You know what I mean? Do you ever think about how lucky we are from the jobs we do of the people that you've gotten to meet? My mom used to say that the red carpet was like the best cocktail party in the world because you got to talk to everybody for two minutes and move on. Yeah. Yeah. She, she she's right. Listen, your mom is one of the one of the ones. Gordon Bennett. She was a fabulous lady. Yeah. She made me. I only met her once, but she made she made me laugh. So she was so funny and so generous and so like she literally took the watch. I told you she took the when watch off were, her wrist. Which we're going to get to fashion because you co-hosted Fashion Police at one point. Yeah, you were one of the fashion girls on the red carpet, and you became very sort of known for your fashion here in the U.S. Did mm-hmm. you always love that, or is it something always. that you came to late in life? Always loved it. And my mom would always just let me wear whatever I want. Okay, fine. You can wear that. But why do you want to wear it? Have an opinion about it. What is it? What is it you like? What do you not like? You tell me. And I could wear whatever I liked. And now, I mean, I don't have a stylist. But it's natural to you. You did talk about that. I remember saying you really do it yourself. Like you love it. Unless it's, unless it's, gowns which were a nightmare just yes. from beginning to end <laughs> like a whole you need a mortgage and like a whole other thing for gowns but anything else no I do it myself because no. because I always feel like how I uh, the clothes I put on are kind of like my suit of armor when I'm going to do something this is this is how I feel and depending on how I feel on the day depends on what I want to wear right so right. so some days I can rock a black leather mini dress and other days I want I, I don't I want to be feminine and floral or I want a masculine trouser suit or I want something like that and I feel like we also then look at if you look at clothes and how we wear them in everyday life you'd you'd wear one thing to go on a date you'd wear something else to go and meet your lawyer you'd wear something else to you know go and meet your boyfriend's mother for the first time and so it's all those different aspects and I feel that that feels as though it's like your suit of armor and helps you do a great performance and I don't think anybody can tell you how you feel on a day and so I'll like line them up I'll I'll kind of put them together and then I'll go, right, how do I feel today? I'm going to do this. And sometimes I change depending so, on yeah. who I'm feeling. Wow. With, with, I've got one quick question for you. So keeping in mind with the title of your book, what mm. actually brings you joy? Mm. It can be anything. It can be anything. It can be from that first perfect coffee in the morning, the very first coffee that's just like opens your eyes and makes oh, you awake. Yes. Particularly if you particularly if you've got you know, you've woken up at five with a two year old, like just that, oh, it's so good. Or it's or it's rediscovering something that you did when you were little. Like when I when I moved to LA, I was hiking in Runyon Canyon. And I saw people riding horses and I used to 
I used to ride horses when I was little, but I got really bad hay fever here in the UK. I was like, but I don't get it anymore here in the US. So actually, maybe this is something I could do. And so I got a horse, I, I took horse riding lessons. I got a horse with my yoga. And it was something that gave me the biggest amount of, I would go galloping across the hills of Runyon Canyon, like as fast as his legs could take me into a sunset. And it was the closest I've ever felt to like flying. You felt elated and just, just completely invincible. And I, and I remembered it from being a little girl, but I'd stopped because I, I, I wasn't very well. And then I refound it again. So I think there's also that too, but I, but I think for me as well, it's always that thing of like, what if Stevie Wonder had never played the piano or what if Tiger Woods had never picked up a good golf club or Picasso a paintbrush? It's like, I think we should expose ourselves and also our children to as much as possible so that they can explore and they don't have to be brilliant at it. You know, just because you love soccer, you don't have to be David Beckham, but just enjoy it. But just in case you are the next Picasso, Gene Kelly, you've got to try it. I, I agree. Well, you are amazing as always. Please come back to LA so you and I can hang out. <laughs> I feel like I've made a new friend today. It's like, well, oh, you, you, you totally, you girls have so much in common yeah. from writing, you know, you, you have your lives parallel yeah. completely. So so come back soon or next time I'm over there when we're allowed to travel, I will come visit. Kat, amazing, oh. fun, so happy to talk to you. You are a beautiful soul inside and out. We love you. Lovely to meet you. And oh gosh, I loved your mom too. So oh. thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.